Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, educate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education and Advocacy Podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, and I'm so happy you're here. This is going to be a really fun episode. We are talking to my new friend, Shamika Allen. Shamika just presented at my 2023 third annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. And there, she talked about appropriate planning for academic success. Today, Shamika and I are going to talk about popular red flags that are heard at the IEP table. And we're going to talk about ways to navigate around that. So I want to introduce to you Shamika Allen. She is the owner of Personalized Learning Solutions, LLC, and a former educator with over 15 years of teaching and administration experience working with children with disabilities and their guardians. Shamika received her Bachelor's of Science in Education from the University of Arkansas and a Master of Science in Kinesiology with a specialized specialization an adapted physical activity from Texas Christian University. She is certified to teach special education and physical education and also received her principal certificate in 2010. Shamika has completed the SEAT training through COPA and she is a now a SEAT 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0 instructor and teaching assistant. When she is working at SEAT, she helps others, she helps to train others to advocate for students with disabilities. She has also completed her advanced advocate training representing parents and impartial hearings through COPE. Shamika has attended hundreds of ARD or IEP 504 and student support team meetings. I can't wait for you to listen to this week's episode. Hello, Shamika. Hi, Ashley. How are you this morning? Good. I am so excited to welcome you to the podcast and to introduce you to my audience. Why don't we start like that? Would you mind just introducing us to yourself and to your business and what kind of draws you to the special education community? Okay. My name is Shemika Allen. As you can see from behind me, I'm the owner of Personalized Learning Solutions. I am out of the state of Texas, a Dallas-Fort Worth area, but I do work in a couple of other states around the country. What drew me to this is I came from the other side. I was a former special ed teacher and administrator over 15 years in the field and was administrator for middle school and high school during that time. Also was a district level vocational adjustment coordinator. So Within my business, transition is a very big part and vocational rehabilitation is a very big part of my business too. I also have two state contracts with our vocational rehabilitation department to provide services. Transition through teaching and working in education transition became a big love of mine. In addition to all I do for my business, also I'm on COPA's education staff. So I help to teach their special education advocacy training courses, all three courses and have my cohort of students and all three courses. So I do that pretty much year round in addition to my advocacy work. And then in the summertime, it's a lot of work for the, what we call our VR service, VR department for Texas. 
which is Texas Workforce Commission. So I'm usually doing things year round. I want to talk about COPA in a second because I mm -hmm. love talking about COPA and it can give us some insight in that. But I'm just curious if we can take like a quick sidetrack. And that is, I've got a lot of listeners that are classroom teachers or other folks in the special ed department in schools. And a lot of them, I get direct messages and whatnot mm -hmm. saying, I really think I want to leave the classroom. And it sounds to me like you've got lots of different contracts that kind of all supplant or support your income that you earn as an advocate as well. Maybe you could talk about what led you to lead the classroom, to leave the classroom, and then just a little bit about developing an advocacy business and like other ways that you can earn income as an advocate. Because I think that's an important thing for people's confidence. Not that we are endorsing leaving classrooms because we yes. So. I became very disgruntled back in 2014, just with public education. And the last straw for me was I was a district vocational adjustment coordinator, and I was helping the district pilot a new program for kids who were not ready to go into one of the districts off a school campus transition program, but they would still come to school for three days a week and leave campus by bus, city bus, teaching them how to use the city bus and go to one of the, the off-campus sites and do some work and then come back to their home campus. Well, I was having trouble getting money for city bus passes, maybe $25. And it was like, the special aid department would say, campus kids, campus, so campus needs to give you money. And then we just going back and forth where I just ended up paying for it myself. And that was the last straw. I was just frustrated with just the hoops to jump with. I said, you want to pilot this no pro new program? I took it on to pilot and spend the days with the students, work out the kinks on what time they need to get to school, what time we need to catch the bus, where we can go and eat lunch around, whichever site we were going to work at, how to get back on the bus in time. And that was an issue because we could not get a city bus back in time for them to catch their school bus home. So then we had to make arrangements for the school bus a school bus to come and pick us up from the site so they could get back to campus to catch their bus on, home on time. So I'm going through all of this, trying to pilot this for you as a new piece of your transition program for kids who are not completely ready to go into the off-campus transition programs. And I couldn't even get money for city bus passes. So I would end up paying for it out of my own pocket, which was not a lot, but I was just fed up and done. And I guess I saw the writings on the wall because everybody's heard about the corrective action plan Texas has been on and the U.S. Department of Education coming down here and the denied article that was written, the six-part denied article was right. written about Texas special education. And I'm actually quoted in part three of that article from years ago, but that just was a writing on the wall. And I just said in 2014, I wasn't coming back. And then two years later, I started my business. And then two years later, the U.S. Department of Education was down here in 2016, looking through districts files, investigating. They had listening sessions with parents. And then in 2018, Texas went on a five-year corrective action plan that we're, our five years is coming up here in April. So I look for the U.S. Department of Education to be back here in the state of Texas anytime in the next 90 days or yeah. for us to get some kind of correspondence. So I saw the writing on the wall. It was just too much to jump through. And I just said, 
I can go and do something else. I started my business. As I said, vocation has always been a love. That's the reason I was, even when I taught self-contained, my kids had all kinds of jobs they did around campus. And being a vocational adjustment coordinator, I went into looking with our Texas Workforce Commission, which is our vocational rehabilitation department, how I, for a whole year, I bothered the region two, they divide up in the state and the regions. When is the bid going to go up? So for employment services. So I have a contract for employment services, which does a lot of job skills training, job placement type of services. And then I have a contract for pre-ETS training that I would do with a, a school and kids in their classroom who are not quite ready for on-the-job training. They need some pre-ETS in the classroom training on like job situations and in the workplace and things like that. So they're two separate contracts and they're good for six years and they renew every two years. And with the employment services, we do a program here in Texas called Summer Earn to Learn, where kids are for 10 weeks. They are, no, five weeks at a time, 10 weeks total. They're placed on jobs in the community and I employ job coaches in the summer who go out and work with the students at the job site. Sometimes I do it, but now I've moved away because I get so many students that I need to be handling day to day. And I'm actually gonna hire a summer earn and learn coordinator this summer to help me with the day to day. So on top of the advocacy business, you have to look other way, things you can add to your business to support it. As we speak, I'm not plugging anything, but that is my conference proposal at COPA is developing your community resource list and partnerships for the business side of advocacy because we all can't do it ourselves, but I talk a lot in that presentation on how do you connect with your state and local agencies. So from connecting with my state and local agencies and knowing that, and just knowing what VR is, I knew I could get state contracts that implement in business, my business income. Hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, that that's definitely it. And that's just like the spirit, right? Because yeah. people have to really think about transitioning from, and this is not the topic of today's call, so we yes. can wrap this up, but yeah. people have to transition from work, from working, doing their job. And yeah, sure, many teachers supplement with other jobs, but sometimes that's even a W-2 job at the Hobby Lobby or something to this kind of like grit and grind of a small business owner. And so taking contracts from the government or from school districts or also tutoring and looking at organizations like your local disability organizations or national disability organizations mm -hmm. or human development institutes, USEDs, COPA, those kinds of places, there's income out there to be had. And so you have to put on your business hat too. So well, one more little comment. I looked at it when I first started my business, I had a tutoring component with it too. And it's one thing I will say, if you're Looking to do advocacy and tutoring, it's really hard to do that because you never know when IEP meetings are going to be. And if you right. have standalone tutoring sessions with students, so I cut that part of my business out. Yeah. That yeah. Just, it's hard to do both. You either, and, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying you can't, but as Ashley knows, IEP meetings come at all times of the day. So yeah. if you have standalone tutoring appointments every day at three o'clock, you're going to tutor this student, you might not be available to do that. So I, that was a component yeah. of my business too, that I just had to text. It's just something that couldn't be done. 
at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's like you don't have control over your schedule. I've tried to use Calendly for other things and you can't use Calendly because you have to have control of your schedule and you have to talk to people about where they are in your schedule and what's before them and what's after them and all that stuff. I agree. Let's shift gears and talk about COPA because you, I love to talk about COPA. I endorse COPA all the time here on the podcast and at Ashley Barlow Company. And I know that you, as you mentioned, are on faculty for those seat trainings. So can you just provide people with inside information about COPA and what COPA does and how COPA? Many people know COPA is the Council of Parent and Attorney Advocates. As I say, they were on Capitol Hill this week, the attorneys fighting for civil rights case for a student. They are, as I say, the top national nonprofit in the country when it comes to parents, attorneys, and advocates working with students with disabilities. If you still work for a school district, you cannot be a member of COPA. You can't have more than 50% of your income come from an LEA or a local education agency. So many years ago, COPA started what they call special education advocacy training. It used to just be one long course. Now it's involved into three courses that we call SEAT 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. So 1.0 is for people who are looking to get into advocacy, maybe parents, or you're looking to start a business and really understanding the law. We do a lot of into professional writing. That's a 10-week course. And that's in the summertime. Then we go into C2.0, which we're in now, which is 27 weeks. And it goes, starts in mid-October, goes to right before Memorial Day, around the third week of May. And we cover everything. All the laws, all the procedural safeguards, they learn issue spotting, how to write a state complaint, doing a case summary. We just learned that they learned the difference between what is an actually an IDA issue and a parent concern, navigating the IEP meeting. I added a new class this year because I do so much social media and networking in my community because the presentation I told you I just did last night was for the Grand Prairie, was for a library system in my local area. So I developed a class called Developing Your Community Partnership, Community Resource List and Partnership, something to that title. So it's a 20, that's a 27 week class that covers everything. You're seriously getting into advocacy, whether you're doing it as a business or just for your own child. And then seat 3.0 is- And I always tell people, Shamika, by the way, that seat 2.0 is like a master's level course in advocacy. I mean, there are attendance requirements, there are assignments, the assignments get graded. Yes, it is a legit commitment that really involves some academic prowess. It is an adult learning course. We also do, I do what we call them Zoom Q&A sessions over assignments. When assignments come up, new assignments are assigned. Anything they have, questions from any of the classes over the weeks. We grade, I grade assignments. I need to be grading an assignment right now because they have another one due Friday and I hadn't graded the last one that's turned in. There's a midterm and then after you finish seat 2.0, you do a practicum with a attorney or advocate. So this year I have had four people wow. that are doing their practicum with me. One is finished and I'm still managing three. And then seat 3.0 is about the business of advocacy where they write a business plan, do all of that. So I have a cohort of students in all three classes that range all throughout the year. So I love it as a way of giving back and making sure the right information is being disseminated out because that was a big issue here in Texas is wrong information. And I'll give you a quick example. 
districts and teachers and administrators were telling parents that kids had to advance through the three stages, the top tier of response to intervention oh. or MTSS, multi-tiered system of support before they could be test, have a special ed evaluation. So that was like a, one of the big violations that the U.S. Department of Education found. So one reason I love doing COPA is making sure that the right information is being shared. And I yeah. tell yeah. people this all the time, as I told the parents last night in the presentation, and it's not saying anything, but special ed parents travel in packs. So if you learn something, I know you're going to share it. So you're, you're learning the correct information. You're going to share it with parents. So hopefully it's like the telephone game. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever told this story on the podcast. I can't believe I have, but one of my favorite cases was a prior client who there was a group of, I don't know, let's say six students that all had the same teacher. They were all in the same setting and they, and I think five of the six, I think there were more, but anyway, we'll just go with six. Five of the six had the same genetic disorder. And then the other child had something where the profile was quite similar to the other kids. And so they all had similar profiles. But they used to go out, I think, for margaritas, like margarita Mondays. And they would uh-huh. just, oh, today was one of those days, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Today, one of them was like, let's bring our IEPs because like, maybe we could all learn from each other if we looked mm-hmm. at our IEPs. They opened their IEPs and I'll be darned, the IEPs were identical. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Even their like, present levels, some of them had the wrong IQs in them because, of course, I got involved in this. They were identical. It's they copy and paste. And pasted evaluation data that was wrong, just from John to Bob and from Bob to Susie. And so, of course, they couldn't all afford to hire an attorney. And so I was like, okay, think fast about how I can help all of them at once. Mm-hmm. So they all on the same day scheduled IEP meetings. And they all provided notice that these other five parents were coming. <laughs> That's smart. And then I went to one of them and I was like, oh, it's so great that you're so agreeable. So then when the other meetings happen, everything that, but I say that yeah. they travel in pack. Really mm-hmm. big on, I have a private parent Facebook group that I answer questions in. I'm really big on making sure the right information is being shared because parents share it. And that's was half of the problem that we had here in our state is the wrong information got shared yep. so many years. And then it led to where we were at in 2016. Yeah, yeah. So. I know Texas is really a nightmare in so many different ways. Let's talk about that then. Let's okay. talk about some of those pitfalls. I know you've got an ebook on this. So let's talk about some of those common pitfalls. Maybe we can get through two or three with the remainder of our time. So hit us with a really common pitfall at an IEP meeting. And then I like to provide solutions. So give us some solutions too. All right. So as Ashley said, I do have an ebook I released last November. It's called Ridiculous and Red Flag Statements Said at IEP Meeting. So it includes some history of IDEA. It goes over red flag statements divided into categories. And then I give you 15 tips for a successful IEP meeting. The one that just really makes me mad because a little education as we go along in the podcast, every student's least restrictive environment is the general ed setting. So what I really do not like that districts will say when you have a student who is in a self-contained class or specialized unit that your child can earn his or her way into the general education setting. 
So why does a student have to earn his or her way into something that's already a right? Because we say special ed students, and I, as I spoke last night to a group of parents, and I tell when I do classes for COPA, they really need to get in the way of changing what we say. I think it would help IEP teams. And here in Texas, we call them ARD meetings a little different. We start saying general ed students who receive special ed services because they are general ed students first. They have a right and access to yeah. everything in that district on that campus. I've said it for years as an educator and administrator of special ed students, but I, I am yeah, making yeah. more of an effort to say general ed students who receive special ed services. So why would a student who is a general ed student have to earn his or her way back to something that he or she already has a right to? Agreed. So that's my number yeah. one when it comes under LRE and general ed setting. Oh, Yes, they're in the self-contained class, but they're going to have to earn their way. Or a student who's in a behavior unit, oh, they're going to earn their way back. No, they don't have to earn their way to something that has a right. Similarly about when they act like you have to earn your preemptive behavior supports. So like maybe it's sensory regulating supports or it is your emotional regulating supports. And they're like, yeah, we let him play with Play-Doh if he does four tasks in 25 minutes. And you're like, but wait, the Play-Doh is like going to engage him so that then he can do the four tasks, but they make everything contingent on performance. And then you don't get those preemptive supports either. Everything is about earning something. And there's very little about supporting people. And I agree with you. I'm like, you know, the inclusion lady. So I agree with you, including the right to go back to your classroom where you belong in the first place. So the way I kind of work with it, I'll ask them, well, has this student ever been in a general ed setting? What supplementary aids and services have you tried and used, including an inclusion personnel, assistive technology, accommodations? What supplementary supports and services have you tried with this student in the general ed setting? And of course, I get an answer of nothing. And this goes vice versa, too. When they're trying to remove a student from the general ed setting, place them in a more restrictive environment, I ask the same question. They can't supply us with the data Say, for instance, inclusion personnel. How many times have they gone in the classroom? What were they working on with the student? Yeah. How many prompts? Was there behavior issues? So back to this one, when they say the child needs to earn his or her way, I say, has the student even been allowed to be in a general ed setting? And what supplementary aids and services have you tried? So then there we go back to putting the student back into the general ed setting with supplementary aids and services so the district can take data on all the supplementary aids and services that have been provided. And can this student be educated in their IEP be implemented in their least restrictive environment with supplementary aids and services? And just like I told my parents last night, just because your child has an eligibility of autism or intellectual disability, doesn't mean that's automatically their placement in a self-contained class or specialized unit. And I told them, I taught self-contained. I understand that might be the proper place for students, but where districts violate the law is the discussion has to begin with implementation of their IEP in the least restrictive environment. If if that does not happen, that's the violation of the law. I completely understand some students' best placement, which becomes a fake discussion, a free and appropriate public education, where's the best place for them to get their education, may be in a self-contained unit. But where districts violate the law is the discussion has to start. Can that IEP be implemented 
in a general ed classroom with supplementary aids and services. That's, that is the violation. And from a negotiation standpoint, a kind of negotiation strategy standpoint, I guess, I completely agree with you. I oftentimes start that with questions also. I literally had this issue on Monday in an IEP meeting, and I just started asking a bunch of questions. And what I found as a result of my questions was they had switched this child to a functional reading program and had not advised the parents of that. They had stopped providing any kind of multi-sensory evidence-based math reading and writing instruction. And they had basically, so the child, the parents had advocated for more time in gen ed successfully, but in order to make the data stop working, the school had changed the SDI. It had really taken away SDI. Mm -hmm. All they were doing was modifying, but they weren't teaching. They weren't teaching this kid how to read, write, or math. And I was like, wait a second. No wonder he's not making meaningful progress. You stopped teaching him. And I just started asking questions. And then the answer was pretty obvious. And you're right. So they were like, oh, busted. And so the director of special ed, this is a huge district. And of course, when I come that you get the big dog director. And he was like, he, but Shamika, I just asked the questions. And he was like, you know what? why don't we start providing this instruction? Why don't we actually get the teacher trained in this brand name reading program, which for this child was Orton Gillingham. And then why don't we come back in six months and look at the data? And I was like, why don't we? That's And that's what I do. No district is going to say that they provide all the supplementary aids and services and they can, they're not going to say we fail. We cannot educate your child. They're not going to put that in writing in an IEP document and say, we have provided, especially when they're trying to move them from the general ed setting to a more restrictive environment. Uh, We have tried everything and we have failed. No district says that. They're going to go back and we're going to put more supports in place and we're going to collect more data. And by that time, school year has trucked on and we're getting close to the end and we have good data to show that this student can be successful with the supplementary aids and services. That's just it. So you can get around the impasse of we are making progress. What are we going to do if you just start asking questions? You start it and it's that way. Just remember, they don't have to earn something that's a right. It's like us, somebody saying you have to earn your right to vote when it's already your right to vote. You don't earn something that's already yours. So yes. that's a biggie. And I know time, I wanted to do another. Let's do another one. Let's do another. another, another I was about to get on a soapbox about access to voting. So let's go on. <laughs> I want to do another biggie. As we know, IDEA is the educational law that governs IEPs. And then 504 Rehabilitation Act 1973 is the Civil Rights Act. We get this a lot. And Ashley will probably laugh when I say this. We don't allow that in our district or district policy does not allow that. So first thing you ask, what is the district policy? And as I say all the time, federal law trumps your state law, which trumps any kind of district policy that you have. So when they give you that as an excuse for something in IEP meeting, we don't do that in our district or district policy doesn't allow that. First, you ask to say, can you show me that in writing on your district policy or where is it at in your website? Where is it on your school board policy? You ask to see that. But when they, I hear this a lot when they're trying to get around doing something, they think just because they, and LEA says it's a district policy, but if it's something federally that you were supposed to be doing according to IDEA and your state law lines up with federal law, 
It doesn't matter what your district policy, especially if you're trying to get them to do something for a child that's out of the box for them. And they tell you that we don't do that in our district. No, you're supposed to apply the students the supplementary aids and services so they can make progress in the general education curriculum. So if it's something that your district's never done before, your child's district, and they say, we don't do that in our district, or district policy doesn't allow that, you ask to see the district policy in writing, or can you access it on the website? And 99% of the time, there's no district policy. Yep. On that. Amen. And sometimes I get them that are abysmally wrong and I'm like, great. Now I can use this in my due process case. So every once in a while I get one that I'm like, oh my gosh, they've got it in writing. This is awesome. Yes. Yeah. So those are, it's a lot. The book, like I said, is available on Amazon, Ridiculous and Red Flag Statements, Set It IEP. Those are just two. There's over 50 something statements that you can just laugh at I laugh at them but there's also things you need to be aware of that if you hear in your IEP meetings that you need to question yeah this is super helpful those two alone are like preach it <laughs> to the choir we've all heard it but parents don't know what to do and I so appreciate that you talk about the issues but you don't just lament about them you provide simple solutions as well so, so that's Go what download that book yes it sounds so, amazing so um, that's gonna be Part two, real fast. The book is just listing it. So when I do it again, when I have time to sit down and do it again, I just like I gave actions for recourse for the statements, that's what I'm going to do. And as I don't know if I call it series two or part two, yeah. is I'm going to go through, I don't know if I'll do all 50 or 60 of them, but I'm going to go through some of them. And what is your course of action? If you hear this statement, the purpose of this book is a lot of parents don't recognize that that's a red flag statement right, in the right. beginning. So I plan to do a part two. And what are your actions to take when you hear this statement? Agree. So. Agree. I, that's, I think, the most important part of it. So, yeah, that's awesome. You yeah. also have the most amazing branding. I can't wait for people <laughs> to check out your website and to check you out. Tell people where they can find you. My website is personalizedlearningforall.com. Do have a business Facebook page, which is personalized learning on Facebook, Instagram too, personalized learning solutions, YouTube channel that I'm slowly adding things to, which is personalized learning solutions. I wanted my website to be WW personalized learning solutions, but it was taken when I started my business. So personalized learning for all still goes along with it. And then also on Facebook, I have a private Facebook group, which is called special education IEP and 504 plan support group. You can answer the membership questions and be a part of the group. There's experts from all over the country in the group. Dr. Ann Simon, Cheryl Poe, Dr. Brandy Tanner from Georgia. Just to name a few people, Dr. Marie Pierre Davis of Autism and Black. There's all kinds of experts in the group. And I personally answer every question that's posted. There's also an extensive file section of the group. That's the only thing about Facebook I don't like. We can't put them in folders. Yeah. It's just a file section that has tons of resources in the group. So it's part of my... That sounds like a great group because you're going to get the right answers. I hesitate to do a group, even one with the questions, because I don't want to have to monitor all the things. I'm in a bunch of those groups and I see the questions that are asked and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't go back and correct other advice and that kind of stuff because it's so tedious. So 
thank you for doing that because I know that's a lot of work and it's nice to know that there's one that's monitored by you. Yes. And real quick, I'll give it before we go. I did a needs assessment because I'm always, I'm in all those groups and this yeah. started about a year before COVID actually hit. So I'm in a lot of groups from Texas around the country. So when people would post questions about like IEPs and technical questions about the law, it would get one or two responses. And sometimes those responses were wrong. I right. said, there is a need on Facebook mixed in these groups. Oh, I need an OT or I have a kid who's 22 years old and we need, we want to make friends. Questions about the law were way down on the line in the page. And they were getting wrong answers. So my group is strictly about IDA, FIEs, IEPs, 504s, implementation of the law. It is strictly law-based and issues parents are having and getting IDA followed correctly. That's all it's about because there was not a group on Facebook that really focused in on it. There's a few more now, but it, it just wasn't. It was groups just about any and everything special ed. This is strictly about implementation of the law and FAPE and getting children correct IEPs right. and 504 plans. So important. Thank you so yes. much for joining us. Thank you. And then I am on breakout session Saturday at one o'clock and my session is appropriate planning for academic success. I'm so happy that you stopped me. I didn't toggle back over to our questions. Yes, yes, yes. Shamika is joining us as a presenter at the Special Education and Advocacy Conference. And oh my gosh, Shamika, your little like blurb about it is so great because what it says is like, when issues happen, we've got to know how to address the issues in the IEP meeting, in the community, how to get the right learning supports, and that will help us get that academic success. And that's the key to it all. So yes, I'm super excited for your presentation. Yeah, yes, it's all about helping parents prepare for before the IEP meeting, what to do during the IEP meeting. And what I see parents do the most is they think I've had the meeting, I'm done. Right. Things they should be doing still after the IEP meeting. That's where I feel a lot of parents fall off. In the year. Is, yep. um, they fall on that couch at home. It's over with. I'm done. But the most important part is what you continue to do after the meeting is over. Agree. Agree entirely. Yes. So. Well, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. This awesome. was fun. Great. Now, friends, don't forget that if you liked what you heard in my conversation with Shamika, and if you are interested in hearing more presentations from folks at the conference, the live passes and the VIP passes are still available. The live pass is only $47. The VIP pass is only $97. With that VIP pass, you also get a three-month free subscription to my new monthly membership, which we are calling the ABC Club. The ABC BC Club opens in February of 2023. Club members get little tidbits dropped into their inbox on a monthly basis several times per month. You get early access to the podcast. You get lots of digital downloads following a monthly theme. So the theme for February is executive functioning. We preloaded it with lots of stuff on inclusion for January. So monthly digital downloads and monthly live and pre-recorded videos with me and other special guests. I hope you'll check out that VIP pass the monthly membership, and all the other things that we've got here to offer at Ashley Barlow Company. I'll see you next week, same time, same place.